if you're visiting and you need to tend to a baby or a husband or whatever. I don't know, I always look at you and smile when I say that, Rich, but <laughs> it just comes to me. You can go right straight through that door, first door on the left. There is a monitor in there. You can watch the services and, uh, and, and be a part that way. Uh, I got a couple of them for you this morning, so I'm going to give you a couple. You can tell me what you think. This is not a couple of messages, so don't hold your breath. And a couple of you just went into the fire right then when I said that. Uh, after the Christmas church service, eight-year-old Lee said to the preacher, Preacher Lee, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. Well, thank you said Preacher Lee, but why would you do that? Because my father says you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. I like it. I liked it a lot, in fact. Here's another one. I like this one. Father O'Malley was driving down to Boston on Christmas Eve when he got stopped for speeding. The highway patrol officer smelled alcohol on the priest's breath. Sacrilege. And when he saw an empty wine bottle on the floor of the car, he said, Father, have you been drinking? Only water, replied Father O'Malley. The policeman asked, then how come I smell wine? And the priest looked up at the sky and said, good Lord, he's done it again. (laughs) Oh, that was good. I like that one. I like that one. Don't don't try that one. I got one more. This one's really funny, too. Some of you aren't going to like this one, but I like it. Who said, oh, no? Blessed art thou. Just after... (laughs) Bless him. Bless him, Lord. You're all laughing. I got to loosen you up so I can say what I need to say. Just after Christmas, Father Michael was walking along the pavement in front of his church when he heard the intoning of a prayer that nearly made his collar wilt. Apparently, his five-year-old son, Jason, and his playmates had found a dead robin. Feeling that proper burial should be performed, they had secured a small box and some cotton, and they dug a hole and made ready for the disposal of the deceased bird. Jason, the minister's son, was chosen to say the appropriate prayers, and so with dignity he intoned his version of what he thought he always heard his father say. Blessed be... The Lord, the Father, and into the Son, and into the hole he goes. (laughs) Into the hole he goes. That's funny. I laughed. I laughed harder than you did. Uh, Into the Holy Ghost. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. Into the Holy Ghost. I'm going to use that when I'm praying for some of (laughs) y'all. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read from the New American Standard. You know this, it's already been read this morning, it's going to be read again. This morning I want to talk to you from the subject matter, the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. I think that in the year 2020, all of us could probably stand to use a little, if not a lot more, peace. I'm not sure that we understand completely what peace is. Peace is not just the cessation of war. We're going to talk about what peace really is. Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be, verse 1, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea and on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, remember Gentiles just as every nation but the Jews, which includes most of you. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the land will shine on them. 
You will multiply the nation. You will increase their joy. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest, as people rejoice when they divide the spoils. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the, and the staff on their shoulders. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to start over. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to give you historical context. I'm reading historical context, but what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to do something is place yourself in the Scripture. This is called esogesis, and a lot of people don't like it. But I think what, what good is the word if it doesn't speak to us today? I understand the historical context. I know how to do exegesis. I, I understand that. We're going to do that this morning. But I think it's okay in some point to say, wait a minute. What is this trying to say to me? Because Jesus is not just he that was. He's he that, he that was, he that is, and he that is to come. He's also the Logos. He's the full expression of the Father. He is the Word. In the beginning, you've heard me say it, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, you know the point. The point that I'm trying to make is, this is not just a historical Word that spoke to the generations 600 years before Jesus. This was a prophetic insight that looked down through eons, down through time, and saw in a landing spot there would be the Messiah that would be born. But this Word holds eternal, eternal context and eternal weight for those of us that live in 2020. I can find myself in the scripture, and if I find a scripture that says, by his stripes I'm healed, or that he's not just talking about them, he's talking about me. If I can look in the scripture and say that he would arise and he would have healing in his wings, it's not just for historical Israel, because we are the, his, the spiritual Israel today. And so if he'll do it for natural Israel, surely he arises in 2020 for the spiritual Israel with healing in his wings. If healing was the children's bread in the wilderness, surely in 2020, the bread of life who was broken for many can be oh, the healing bread for us today in 2020. So when I read it again, I want you to hear not just what I'm reading, but say, oh, this is about me. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. If you've been walking in darkness, uh, the people who uh, live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nation. You will increase their joy. Good God. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest as people when they divide the spoils. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as the battle at Midian for every boot of the marching warrior in the roar of battle and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire for a child will be born to us this is the how it's going to happen he's already told us what is going to happen and this is how it's going to happen a child will be born to us a son will be given to us and the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting my god almighty the everlasting father the prince of peace there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace there will be no end to the increase of his government there will be no end to the increase of peace there will be no end that means however much peace you had yesterday by, by guarantee of his word his promise you better expect more peace today of the increase of his government and peace is the king james word there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore for the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. What an unbelievable prophetic 
It's, you can speak these words and suddenly there's a kairos moment. A kairos moment is a moment suspended in time. It's not measured by chronology. It's measured by the reality of the spiritual realm which is above us, all around us, and within us. I don't want to blow your minds. I don't think we have a whole lot of visitors, but if, you've, if you're a visitor, you're always welcome. And I hope to God you come back. But I want to say this, the heaven, the spiritual realm that exists inside of you is the exact same heaven and spiritual realm that exists outside and around you. There is no separation. The Prince of Peace. We're going to talk about this morning. Just, you, can't, you can't read these words without the eternal weight that comes with these words. You can't declare these words without the prophetic declaration creeping somehow its way into 2020 and say, my God, it's just as powerful and just as real. And by the way, since we live on the other side of the cross, it is a manifested reality in my presence. So that means where I walk today, I can expect that there to be no end of his righteousness and no end of his peace. The Prince of Peace, 600 years before the birth of Jesus, the old prophet Isaiah saw and, prophet, saw and prophesied one whose coming would mark the birth of a new king and a new kingdom. A kingdom founded not on war, but built upon peace. If you flip way back into the Old Testament and read, David is sitting on his throne one day and he's looking at his trappings and all of the trophies of war and all the battles that he's won. And he, and he has this thought, how is it that I sit in here and rest in this beautiful, wonderful temple on this big throne and, and with all these trappings, and yet God lives in a tent. I'm going to build for God a house. So he tells God, I'm going to build a house. And so he, he calls the prophet in, and what is the prophet who is essentially like a pastor comes in? He says, this is what I want to do. And he says, man, yeah, all that's in your heart, do it. You're going to build me a bigger church? Do it, you know, like most pastors would say. Do it. And then he comes back, he says, you know what? You'll not be the one to build the house. And he said, why would I not build the house? And essentially he said, your type of Jesus that's coming, and he ain't going to build his house as a man of war. But Solomon, who is the son of peace, will build the house. And he did. Because everything that Jesus does is established upon peace. Anyways. The Prince of Peace. We say it casually. We who have grown up in church have heard the phrase countless times, especially during the Christmas season. But as with many truths, they can become glazed over as ritual until we stop and investigate and meditate in the truth and splendor of the reality of the word peace. Not as an idea, not even a theory, not even just a hope. It's not brought about by domination or the shedding of blood and war, but given preeminence by royal seed. A prince born with the glow of his father's eternal yes to humanity and to all creation. The baby having the face of a human, but the heart of his Father God, manifested to reveal and establish in the earth the peace that abides in the heart of his eternal Father. It's a mouthful. Notice the language of the prophet. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. There's a reason 
that he prophesies. The Bible says that the scriptures are inspired, God-breathed, and good for all of us. Essentially, essentially what Isaiah is going to write here is something that the Father is revealing to him, and he's writing it down as a prophetic declaration. It's not just a child is born and a son is given. It's unto us. It's directional. The relationship was always supposed to be directional. And it was, I see the oppression of my people. I see the oppression that has come because of the sin of mankind. And because of sin came upon the earth, death came upon the earth. And in fact, death reigned from Adam until Jesus. But Jesus, who was the last Adam, would swallow up death in victory. He would literally put death to death by death. The Bible says this, Paul says it very clearly, that by death he would put death to death and raise victoriously and help and bring us into this kingdom of peace. Peace. A prince born with the glow of his father's eternal yes to humanity and all creation. The baby having the face of human, but the heart of God the Father manifested to reveal and to establish in our earth the peace that abides in the heart of his eternal Father. Unto us, to us, in our direction, with us in mind, a child is born. By the way, the footnote, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child was born in Bethlehem. The son would be given 30 years later when he comes up out of the Jordan River. And John says, and I heard a voice from heaven, opened up and said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. That was where the son was given. But the child is going to be born in Bethlehem 30 years earlier. He was born unto us. And was given unto us. The focus of the father was peace being manifested in the form of a son. Of whose kingdom and peace there would be no end. Not only was he called the Prince of Peace, which indicates his father is the King of Peace. Now let's think about this. I just want to. I just want to. I want to step back for a minute. The King of Peace. Does anybody know what city? If I were to mention this Old Testament city, is 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 defined. It's the same word as peace. Anybody know? Salem. And who was the King of Salem? Melchizedek is the king of Salem, the king of peace. Jesus is called the prince of peace. And we are called priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. Maybe our priestly duty is to see the peace that already exists in the heavenly realm and to manifest it in our reality. The Bible calls Jesus Christ a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Not only was he being called the Prince of Peace, which indicates his father's the King of Peace, but the very announcement of his birth by the angel to some lowly shepherds revealed an eruption of the heavenly host whose praise was a declaration of peace. Think about this. Think about this. The father says, I'm done with the warfare. I'm done with the warring. I'm done with all that. Really what I wanted to do was always establish a kingdom of righteousness, of peace and joy. In fact, the New Testament says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink as you pose, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. You can know what kingdom you're living in depending on what your surroundings are. If you're living in righteousness, you're living in peace, you're living in joy, you can be rest assured you're in the kingdom of the Spirit. You're in the heavenly realm with the Holy Ghost. If you're not living there, you might want to check your address because you're in the wrong kingdom. Hmm. 
The declaration of a heavenly host, as you know, we're going to read it. Luke chapter 2 was a declaration of peace. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. Now, historically, this, a, a lot of people believe this might be the exact same fields where David used to tend his father's flock when he was way out and forgotten about. And the other brothers, we talked about this last week. You know, because this is the city of David. This is Bethlehem. This is where it was supposed to happen. And so where these shepherds are just doing their job, just tending to the sheep. Just For those of you that are going to watch this podcast or listen to it later, you lowly shepherds like myself that are doing your job and trying to tend to the sheep and feed the sheep, don't even sweat it. You Don't, don't worry about being looked over because it is unto you you that the angel is going to manifest and say this is where you can find him this is where he's at in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them I want to be clear he stood near them he was already there there so their eyes were open and boom there he was he was probably there before they saw him He was probably there before they saw him. It's just their eyes were open, and now they saw something that was already reality. In the same way when the angel came to Mary, Gabriel, who who is in the presence of the Lord, where's God? He's everywhere. He said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of the Lord. Have you ever read your Bible much? I know you do. He said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence. So when he appeared to Mary, and he says, Hail Mary, for thou art blessed and highly favored. It wasn't his declaration that made her blessed and highly favored. It was his declaration that opened her eyes to see that she was already blessed and highly favored. The angel was probably in the field with the shepherds the whole time. In fact, I can guarantee you that he was. I won't tell you how I know, but just just trust me. I I can prove it by the Bible, and I can prove it by the Spirit. And that's the two witnesses, the Spirit and the Word. He was already there, but their eyes were open, and the angel was there. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And what's the first thing the angel says? And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good good news, or as the King James says, good tidings of great joy, which will be to a couple of people. Wait a minute. I'm going to read it. Now, this is, the, this, is the, this is the heretical version. This ain't the King James. You know, that's the only version. That's what Jesus carried. King James only people trip me out. I I will never understand them. I'm like, man, what do you think they did before 1611? (laughs) Everybody was lost to 16. And thank God, finally, we got the 1611 version of the King James Bible, and suddenly the world can be saved. But before then, man, they they were just screwed. They didn't have the King Jimmy. People trip me out. If you tell a lie loud enough and long enough, before long, people begin to believe it. But anyways, <laughs> you get a see, you get you get comedy, you get revelation, you get insight, you get a whole lot of stuff. You come here on Sunday, and so the angel said, "Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What's the word? And on earth? 
That's what he came to establish. And on earth and goodwill toward men. The peace of God and the goodwill of God was always directional towards men. He's revealing his heart through his son who is going to be called the prince of peace. Anytime, anytime that an angelic voice, and let's, let's just take the word angel at its, at its base meaning. It just means messenger. Anytime that a messenger of God opens his mouth and begins to speak about the Prince of Peace, you can guarantee you, you can bet your bottom dollar that whether you see it or hear it or not, the heavenly host of God is opening their mouth and declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. You can't talk about the Prince of Peace without the multitudinous heavenly armies of God declaring the peace of God, not in heaven, but in the earth. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Or one translation says, on earth, peace among the people with whom he is pleased. And on earth, peace. On the day Jesus was born, the heavenly host declared peace on earth. And coincidentally, on the day Jesus was born again from the dead, upon his appearing to his disciples, the first time he sees them, this is what he says to them. Peace unto you. What about this? The first time Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is going to be born, the angel appears and declares peace, and the heavenly host declares peace. And the first time that Jesus appears before his disciples, when he's born again from the dead, they're there and they're huddled up, and they're not sure if what Mary said was true or not true. They really don't know, and he just appears, and he says, Peace be unto you. Essentially, guess what? What I told you was going to happen, I just paid for it, so peace is yours now. In fact, he would say something like this, my peace I give unto you. How can you give someone peace? My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. You know how the world, the world, the world will give you something, they'll take it back. You know how it works. Give you something, take it back. They give you friendship, you offend them, they take it back. Give you something, that's not the way Jesus gives. When he gives peace, it's yours. What if I were to tell you the peace of God is yours by inheritance. Which means you don't have to do something. See, the, in, for an inheritance, you don't have to do anything. You just have to be somebody. Sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, you've got to do something. If you want to reap something, you've got to sow something. And that's a good principle. And you should do that. I wish more of you would do it. If you want to reap, you might want to think about starting sowing. But a, but a principle above that, a dimension above that, is inheritance. And for an inheritance, you are born into that. You're born into a family, and you have certain unalienable rights, not given by the United States government or the Constitution, but given to you by God himself. And those rights are to life and to love and to the pursuit of his presence and to walk and reign in dominion and to walk and reign in life and to fullness of Jesus said that any thief comes that he could steal and kill and destroy but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly it is yours by inheritance how do I get it you got it however I do want to make very clear something to you well, I'm, if I'm a son of God, why am I sick? I'm a daughter of God. Why am, I hear what you're saying. Because Paul says this. He says, he says, a son is no different than a slave as long as he remains in his childish ways. A son will only receive the fullness of father's inheritance as he grows up and matures into it. 
And that's why Jesus didn't say, go and make church people of all nations. No, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And the reason you have to make disciples is to walk in the fullness of the inheritance that Jesus paid for, you are going to have to become disciplined. And as you become dis and it's not a discipline of do good, don't do bad. And it, no, it's a discipline of seeing myself and only seeing myself as Father sees me. And seeing my brother and my sister and only seeing my brother and my sister as my Father sees them. That's what Jesus' commandment. His commandment, actually, you have to do it, and you don't know that you're doing it. He said, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Well, you do. You can tell people, everybody, believe it or not, loves their neighbors, they love themselves. Because if you don't love your neighbor, it's probably because you don't love yourself. Anything that you see in someone else that you don't like is probably a projection of something deep down inside of you. I can prove that psychologically, and it's also biblical. It's true. Anything that you see in someone else that just irks you and just, and just get, there is some unhealed part of you that that touches. You're, you're a professional counselor. Is this, am I right? She said amen loud. So that whole love your neighbors yourself thing, he, you're doing it whether you like it or not. The thing we need to do is to learn to love well. And the way that we learn to love well is first we see Father as He is, which is always and only good. And as we see Him that way, then we see ourselves in a new light of, well, if I'm made in your likeness, in your image, and, I'm, and you're only and always good, that means by nature I'm a good person. I'm not a rotten, spoiled. I'm not, I'm not what they said that I've heard all my life that, you know, I'm going to bust hell wide open. You're spoiled, rotten demons from hell. No, you're not that. You are made in His likeness, in His image. You look like your Father. You just might need a bath, but you look like your father. Because what's happened is throughout religion and throughout the age, you've allowed other people to define what you, what you think you are. And so you don't really know anything about yourself. You are the most powerful being that you're going to meet in your own life. It is good. It's good because until we get here, there's no reason to go any further. There's no reason to go further. Everything else is rhetoric. Everything else is, is icing on the cake. Everything else, it doesn't really matter. If we don't get this part figured out, we're going to live our lives and we're going to continue to recycle and rehash the same old stuff. And we're going to get a, a heebie-jeebie or a goose pimple based on the corporate anointing on the house and think we've got ourselves together. But we walk out and two days later, our life's going right back the hill like it was before we got to church on Sunday. And so then we drag ourselves into church again for another Sunday and we feel the corporate anointing, the movement of the Spirit that happens when people come together. We think we're okay and we leave and two days later we're dragging ourselves again I need to be filled up this was never meant to be a filling station and regardless of what they say this was not meant to be a hospital this was meant to be a place where we come together and share the glorious mystery and the thing that God has done you won't believe what God did well you won't believe what he did here and you won't believe what he did at my work that was what we were supposed to come together and do it wasn't supposed to be oh God I hope I could make it I hope he preaches a good word I need it today God loves you and God has mercy for ignorance and childish things like that. But that's not what you're called to. We should come in with a gift of worship. I've come to present something to you today. You're worthy. And you're, and you're so worthy that I refuse to. Did you know it wasn't even allowed in the Old Testament? You don't show up in the presence of a king without a gift. And week after week, we come in here and pile in, in churches across America. I'm not, not trying to label anybody. We, and we have no gift to give. And I'm not even talking about money. I'm just talking about a gift of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, whatever. And have no gift to give because, oh, God, I just need you to fill me up again. You're full of it. I can tell you that. You're already full before you get here. Well, this hurt my feelings. Well, 
maybe you need your feelings hurt. You know, when I, when I correct my children, when they're, they don't normally like it. In fact, yesterday, Rachel, I'm telling Rachel, this is so sweet, I'll tell you the end of the story. So Rachel and Bella, night before last, decided, we're, we're, we've got into our new house, and when I say we've got into our new house, if you've ever moved, you know what that means. You know, we just drag along, and we'll be there by 2022-ish. You know, you collect a lot of stuff over 16 and a half years and eight people in one house. It's amazing what you could, I mean, it's a miracle. You want to see a true miracle? Come look at my old house and how in the world do they get all this squeezing that? It's because of that amazing woman right there and the miracle. But the Rachel and Bella are painting their nails. I don't know if you've heard about this yet. They're painting their nails and they decided the best place to do that is on the brand new bunk bed set and the brand new mattress that they just got. And none of us know that it's happening. And so I get home. And Elizabeth says, whoa, gosh. I said, oh, Lord, what happened, Lord Jesus? You know, you learn, you learn the tone of a woman over the years. And if you don't learn the tone of a woman, you are of all men most miserable. The Bible says it's better to, and she's not, it's better to live on the corner of the roof of a house than to live in the house with a contentious woman. <laughs> I don't think it's the time to say, you don't say amen right there. <laughs> I set him up. That's my fault. It's my fault. I'll, I'll pitch in for the flowers because you're going to buy some. <laughs> and so Rachel and, Rachel and Bella decide they're going to paint their nails on the bed, and they paint their nails on the bed, and you can imagine what happens. Somehow, now they're on the top bunk painting their nails. Somehow that fingernail polish winds up on the mattress beneath, beneath, which was Abigail's brand-new mattress. Rachel had an older mattress. Abby didn't have a, a, a twin size at the old house. She's got one here, and she's learning to adjust, and it's, it all is well. <laughs> and, uh, and I get home, Elizabeth, she's not happy, and I said, what happened? Rachel and Bella, Rachel will not have a visitor in this house for a month. She won't have a visitor in this house for a month. She won't touch fingernail polish and, and all the stuff she said. And I mean, I, just at every word, I'm just doing this. I'm moonwalking it really bad, but I'm moonwalking it back. I was like, oh, my God. You know how moms get when they're breathing fire. And, and I ask, so I go to Rachel, and uh, Rachel doesn't know that I know anything. And I see Rachel. I say, hey, what's going on? And she's, hey, how you doing? I said, what happened earlier? What are you talking about? You know, she don't want to broach the subject. What are you talking about? I said, did you paint your nail? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she says like this. What happened? Daddy, I don't, she starts crying. Me, me and Bella were on the bed, and I promise, I don't even know how it happened. It get all the other bed. She, she goes crying. She said, Rachel, you know that we don't paint our fingernails or our toenails in our bed. And she's crying. And she's crying. And I, I'm, I'm just giving an example of what I did five minutes ago when I, when I was sort of correcting some things. This is the same thing I do as a daddy. And I said, Rachel, we don't paint our toenails. And if we're going to paint our nails at any time, let's at least let mommy and daddy know first. And at worst, let mommy know. If you don't tell daddy, let mommy know. I'm sorry. You know, and I said, what mommy said? She said, I can't have friends over for a month. I said, oh, honey. And so, you know, she knows Christmas is a week away. So, you know, now, now the whole life is ruined. And so I grab her and I hug her. I'm like, sweetheart, it's all right. I said, look, look, I, let daddy talk to mommy. As far as the fingernail stuff, she said, Daddy, I promise. I got it off, and I said, okay, well, let's go look. Let's mean you go look. So, and Liz was there the whole time. She's on the chair like this. Like, want to throw up. Like, he's going to come in here and rescue her. I'm just trying to correct the girl. He comes. I know. She, and she's like, you know, <laughs> she's got this face that she makes. And it's, it's somewhere between this and this. It's like, <laughs> she's so pretty. When she, and her eyes are so big anyways and pronounced that when she rolls them, you know it. And everybody knows it. In fact, sometimes she rolls them and she don't even know it. 
It's true. It's a true story. So I take Rachel up, and I get there, and I said, uh, well, where'd you clean off? And I mean, Abigail's bed is soaked with something. I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? She said, Daddy, I did my very best. I don't think there's anything on there. I said, well, let's pull the sheet back and the blanket back so it can dry out. And I went go to tell Elizabeth. I'm like, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's good. It's good. She got everything off. Well, well, she's still not going to, you know. <laughs> What's the point? The point of it was Rachel needed to learn. We don't paint our toenails and our fingernails in the bed. That's, that's a no-no. That's not the way we do it. This is the right way to do it. The right way is to plead and beg and ask mommy first before you do it. And also, where do you do it? What time do you do it? What time are you to be done? And what color can I use? You come to my house, boy, Elizabeth run a tight ship. <laughs> Thank God. You have to with six kids. If you don't have six kids, don't even think about it because you don't know. It is crazy. But she does well with it. And she's a very good mom. She's a very good wife. But that's the whole point. Does that make me a bad dad? No. And in fact, it makes me a good dad because I don't want to see Rachel. I don't want to see a little heartbroken again because I didn't teach her the right way. It's the same with the church people. So Elizabeth texts me sometime last night. I was doing whatever running I was doing and says, look at this. And it was a, a note that a, R- Rachel had written to Abby and left it for her on her bed. It says, dear Abby, I'm so sorry for being a brat. <laughs> I, I hope we can still be friends. I love you, Rachel. <laughs> I laugh. I mean, it, 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 wore, it wore my heart. I'm like, yeah. And so immediately, obviously, the first thing I want to do is just go get her. So Elizabeth wanted some food. I said, Rachel, you're right with me. And we rode together. And all is well. But she had to learn her lesson. So same thing the church people. Sometimes the things that I say, I know they're not comfortable. And, I, and, and if you'll give me time to get to it, it you know, you give me time to get to the end, you'll realize, oh, that was actually for my good. He was telling me that I'm good because I am good. And he was telling me that I don't have to perform to get God's acceptance. I'm already accepted in the beloved. And he's told me that I'm already made righteous because he that knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's telling me that peace is available to me because it's not just a gift, it's a gift, but it's also a realm. It's a kingdom. It's a person. And if I have the person, then I get the stuff that goes with the person. Salvation has been watered down to mean when you die, you don't have to go to this fiery furnace that they call hell, which is not even really what hell is anyway. But that's what Western evangelical churches has watered down salvation to be. Your salvation experience is a lot more than just keeping you from having to burn forever in an eternal inferno. Your salvation is about your healing. It's about your health. And more than anything else, it's about your life here today. You don't have to wait until the sweet by and by to be saved. You have been saved, you are saved, and you will be saved. But Jesus didn't say, I have come that they might get a mansion one day if they do good enough. No, he said, I am come that they might have life. Life. And that they might have it super abundantly is the word. It's super abundantly. That they'll have so much life that they're going to have to find someone else that ain't living this way to give some of it away. I'm going to so fill their cup. That I love the way Brendan Manning says it. He says, I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I could contain the wild, uncontainable love of God. It's so good, I've got to find other people to give some to. My purpose every Sunday when I get up is to do my best to allow what God has shown me about himself to overflow so when you leave, you feel like, oh, I I am a son of God. I am because you are, or I am a daughter of God because you are. Let me get back to my. I want to tell the story about Rachel because I thought that was funny. I thought it, it was getting close. No more war, no more fighting. Peace. 
No more trying to appease what we mistakenly thought was an angry God. Peace. No more warring with trying to become good enough or doing good to be deserving and acceptable. Peace. Peace is the word shalom. The Hebrew word shalom from Isaiah 9, 6, where we just read, which the Bible translators translate into the English word peace, is often used by Jews as a word of greeting. But shalom has many, many more meanings than just peace, than just cessation of war. Here are some of the meanings of the word peace. The prince of peace. You live in a kingdom of peace. This is, excuse me, this is what you can expect. These are some of the meanings, actual definition of the word peace. Completeness. Wholeness, rest, am I talking to anybody? Safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, harmony, lack of worry, the absence of agitation or of discord. That is the definition of peace. It's not just the ceasing of war. It's not just the ceasing of, a, of, of men not fighting each other. It's the ceasing of a war within your mind that says, I've got to do something to get something or to, or to be acceptable. It's the cessation of all of that. It's seeing myself as whole. It's seeing myself as complete. It's seeing myself as rested, as safe, as sound, as tranquil, as prosperous. Goodness. His coming was to establish a kingdom of peace, which is to say a kingdom of completeness, a kingdom, which kingdom means the royalty, the rule, the realm, and the reign. So he came to give me a kingdom or the royalty or the reign of my life, uh, of wholeness, a kingdom of rest, a kingdom of harmony, a kingdom of prosperity. The prince of peace is not a symbol of peace. He is peace. He's not a symbol of peace. He's not what we can attain to. He is peace. Just as God is love, Jesus is peace. In fact, in him is the only true peace. Jesus is peace just like Jesus is love. He is literally peace in the flesh. Peace itself living in the body of a man. God. And when we come to truly know Jesus and not just know about Jesus, the miracle begins. The then when we begin to hang out with Jesus on a daily basis, his heavenly peace begins to saturate us. It invades our now. It invades our reality. It invades us body, soul, and spirit and mind. His gift is peace. His gift is peace, as the Marie sang this morning. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel, the good news, the blessed news, the God story is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. Worship team, we're going to finish with that song. Come get your gear real quick. And in his name, Isaiah, you better get to that board because you're going to have to unmute everything. In his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all of us together praise his holy name. God, what a song. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Now, the Prince of Peace was born to reveal the God of peace and to establish in the earth his kingdom of peace. In this most tumultuous year, I say like Paul the Apostle, May the God of peace, may the God of peace be with you all. Another scripture says, and the God of peace shall crush your enemy under your feet shortly. The God of peace, the God of peace, the God of peace. 
Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, give me that pad. In the name of Jesus, right now, Father, I declare, give it to me. I declare in the name of Jesus, peace upon your people. Father, it's not a peace that comes as a result of my word, but, it, but it's peace that is understood as their eyes are open to understand we live in a kingdom of peace. In this year, Lord, where the enemy has done everything within his power, Lord, to usurp authority, Lord, through earthly systems of government and cause us uh, to become divided against one another, you have already, have you already established your kingdom. You have already declared your kingdom from the, end to the, from the beginning to the end and the end to the beginning that it is a kingdom of peace. And I declare over this body that they will begin to open their eyes and see that we live in a kingdom of peace. It doesn't matter what the naysayers say. And it doesn't matter what the prognosticators say. It doesn't matter what the news pundits say. And it doesn't matter who is or who's not in the White House. You are in the house that I live in, that you are the king. And you are the king of Salem. You are the king of peace. You are the prince of peace. And we will receive in and unto ourselves your peace. We receive in and unto ourselves the peace, the peace that you paid for, the peace that was bought by your broken body on the cross, the peace that passes all understanding. Of course it passes understanding. It can't be comprehended. It can just be attained. It can just be experienced. Father, as we sing this next song, as we all lift our voices and we lift our worship to you, we, we thank you for this season where we celebrate you coming, where we celebrate the moment that you chose in time to be the moment that you revealed yourself to the earth, not as a, a warring, angry God, but as a baby coming to establish a kingdom of peace.
place today, just remember that oh so holy night and just that each and every one of you are blessed and a blessing and you are highly favored. And not just in this Christmas holiday season, but each and every day when you walk out your path with Christ, just look for him in every situation. Enjoy your Christmas, have a happy holidays, and we will see you next Sunday.